0: Um, If you turn to Genesis chapter 15, a moment, Genesis chapter 15, if you're here for the first time, please move around and get yourself an A4 sheet. There'll be one somewhere near you. You're going to need one as we proceed this morning. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 16. As Leanne was sharing there, we started about three or four weeks ago to to begin to do an overview of all the books in the Bible. We began with an overview of church history, and last week we looked at Genesis. If we spend more than, I I don't want to spend more than one week on any given book. I'll try to to keep it to that. It may be very, very difficult. But this week our book is, is Exodus. And if your notes, if you look at the side with the two squares on it, with the PowerPoint presentation on it. That's where we're going to begin this morning. Everything in the Old Testament is a foreshadow of everything in the New. What you see in the Old is in picture form, and then it's worked out through time and history. It actually makes an an absolutely fascinating study to go back over the Old Testament and to see how things actually worked out in reality over the centuries. I'll pick up from where we left off last week. Remember what happened. You Remember? We finished with Jacob worshiping God. Remember there had been a terrible famine. And the Hebrew people had traveled all the way down to Egypt. And Jacob had found that Joseph was still alive. And I believe for the first time the point of Genesis was to show us that he was able to worship a good God but he had misunderstood the depth or the the width of the goodness of God. And when Jacob saw that, Genesis, I believe the main point of it is he worshiped the Lord. Now the, the problem starts, you can imagine, they travel all the way down to Egypt, but guess what? They stayed. They stayed. Now, God had given them a job to do. They had a land to conquer. They had Canaan to to take dominion over. They were given clear instructions, but they didn't obey it. Pharaoh, if you remember, because of Joseph's influence, Pharaoh had given them some very nice land, and they were very cozy, right? Too cozy. And so they didn't pick up the challenge of going back and doing some work in Canaan. They actually stayed too long. And because the blessing of God was upon them, they prospered in every possible way. And they became a little bit threatening to the Egyptians, you know. And the Egyptians began to look and say, hey, we're going to have to control these people. They actually stayed in Egypt 430 years. That's a long time. I reckon they were only supposed to be there for 12 years. the the duration of the famine. And then they should have gone back to Canaan. But they got stuck in a foreign land. And they actually, you know, they clearly lost the way of God. Now God, it would seem to us that God was very slow to respond to them. But look at Genesis chapter 16, sorry, Genesis chapter 15 and verse 16. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 16. This explains why God waited 430 years before He answered their cries. In the fourth generations, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. If you ever doubted the fact that God was a judge, I think that scripture clears it up. God was going to deal with the Egyptians. But he is a judge, he is a king, and he could only do it righteously. So he was waiting until the persecution, pay attention, he was waiting until the persecution got so severe that it justified his drastic intervention. I'll come back to that in a moment. The Egyptians began to put more and more pressure on the Hebrew people, they became more and more cruel. It began with forced labor. And they tried to destroy those people, or at least weaken them. When the forced labor didn't work, then they said, Okay, you're going to have to make bricks without straw. That was to wear them out. A brick made with straw is light. A brick made without straw is heavy. Right? And they were builders. So, you know, Pharaoh's plan was to wear them out. When that didn't work, he said, Okay, we will kill all the male children born. And of course, this is where Moses enters the scene. Moses is placed, you know the story, famous story. Moses is placed in a reed basket, and he's pushed off into the Nile. And he's plucked from the Nile, and he ends up in the same place that Joseph was. Right? Amazing. You can't keep these people down. Joseph had risen to become the prince of Egypt, and now, 430 years later, There's another Hebrew back in that same place. And Moses, as we know, was educated by the Egyptians, went to the university. If I could have my next slide up there, actually. This is Cleopatra's needle, I think. Is it stuck, is it? This is Cleopatra's needle. There's two of these. This is actually the one in London. And the next time you're in London, if you go to the Victoria and Albert Museum, You will see that just outside on the River Thames. Listen, folks, it's a small world. Moses walked past that pillar every day. Well, at least every day he went to university in the Heliopolis, because that's where it came from. It's a very small world, amazing. And no doubt on his first day, he would have gone over to, to touch that just as part of history, and there it is today. We think these things are a long way back, you know, but they're actually not. And the more you look at it, the more you you realize it's not that distant. Could I have the map up there, please? Take a look at this. So you begin to see the story. Remember, Abraham was over here in Iraq. And God called him to leave and to move. And he walked down to Canaan. When he was in Canaan, God spoke to him. This is the promised land. But then there was a famine. So down they go. I may not fall off the stage here. Down they go. They walk all the way over to Egypt. but but there's, you know, they, 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 they stay 430 years. Then Moses leaves and he comes down here. After he kills the Egyptian, he actually leaves Egypt on his own and travels out. He's a bit of an exile. He finds out that he himself is a Hebrew. He gets angry for the oppression against the people. He kills an Egyptian and he flees all the way down on his own to Mount Sinai. Listen, folks, Moses spent 40 years in the same wilderness that God was going to one day send him back to get the Hebrew people and bring them there. And I'm sure in those days, he, he would have probably thought he had messed up his life. He had ruined everything. This was the time, if you like, of his imprisonment. And yet God was using all that time and was going to use it in his future. Now, you know the story God speaks to him. Okay, Moses, 40 years go by. Go back to Egypt. Go back to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, what? Let my people go. Go back to Pharaoh. Have my next slide, please, there. He went back and he spoke to this guy. Who's this? (laughs) Ramesses II. It's a small world. This is the body that was embalmed, This is actually the body of Ramesses II. This man, it used to be in New York, but they moved it. It's back in Egypt now. They repatriated it. So if you speak badly to Moses, you're going to end up looking like this, so watch it. It's a small world, and time is not really that long. This is Ramesses II, and this is the man who defied Moses. This is the man who defied God. It's astonishing, you know. Can you imagine that can you imagine him walking talking in those days really truly is astonishing the egyptians had many gods and each of the plagues that god sent upon egypt were designed to show that god almighty was greater than the egyptian gods they had the frog god so he sent a plague of frogs they had the river god so he turned the river into blood and every one of them was designed to show them that there's actually only one god there's only one true God. But you know the story, this man hardened his heart seven times, and then God handed him over and said, okay, I'll harden your heart for you. And again, very famous story where the Passover came, God, the, the final plague. God said, what I will do is I will wipe out all the firstborn in every home, unless, next slide please, I will wipe out uh, the, the eldest child in every home, unless I, my angel of death, when it passes over that house, it sees blood on the lintel. And you know where that is going, the Passover. And all these centuries later, next slide, please. All these centuries later, in every Jewish home, once a year, the family gather around the table on Passover. And it is the the order of the day, the order of the evening, that the youngest child within that home has got something to do. The youngest child has to say to the father, tell me what this means. When they see the wine and they see the bread, the youngest child has to ask the father, "What what does this mean? And then the father explains about what has happened in their past, explains to the children about their history about the Passover and how God delivered them. So we have, if you look at the Old, uh, the Old Testament, remember, is picture form, and the New Testament is reality. They passed through the Red Sea, and they ended up at Mount Sinai. Could I have my mountain up there? They ended up at this place here on Mount Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain, and remember what happens? God gives him the law God appears to him, speaks to him, and gives him the Ten Commandments, but when Moses came off that mountain, what did he find? In the time that he had been away, they had melted all the gold, and they'd built themselves a a a calf, a golden calf, and they were worshiping that calf. And on that day that he came down, 3,000 people died. And that's significant. Again, we'll come back to that in a moment. 3,000 people died. On the day that the law was given. Now, on your notes there, you've got foreshadow and reality in your top box. The reality of all those things we've just seen in the New Testament is very different. Working down the reality column, what does it mean to us? What do these things mean to us? Well, it means we're in the world but not off it, and we can't get complacent and stay 430 years in the wrong place. Amen. If we do, they, uh, like they ended up slaves to Egypt, we will end up slaves to sin. They cried out to God, we cry out to God. They, uh, Moses came to deliver them. When we cry out to God, who comes for us? Jesus. And we get salvation. They had the, 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 the lamb. They, 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 they were to slaughter a lamb and to get their Passover bread and to be ready to move. We don't get that. We have Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. So you begin to see, you can actually work through Old Testament prophecy, and you can see your history there. You can see prophetically. Then we we have salvation. You have baptism in water. What's that? That's the Red Sea. That's what Paul says it is. He says it's symbolic of the baptism that you received. But it didn't finish with the Red Sea. They went on and they crossed the Jordan. What's that? Baptism in the Holy Spirit when they moved into victory, and ultimately they ended up, for us, it would be entering heaven. So, and just by the way there, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, you remember in Pentecost, how many people got saved? 3,000. So you see the mirror effect? When the law was given, 3,000 people killed. When the Holy Spirit comes, 3,000 people saved and all these things have a mirror image. I tell you all that so that you can see yourself today. Now, friends, please listen. (laughs) This could not be more serious. It could not be more serious. Watch. It's a mirror. It's a prophetic mirror, and it's given to you. It's been given to you for you to see something, but you must spiritually see it. Look the beginning of time. What have we seen so far? What's here? What two countries? Israel and Israel and Iraq. So there you go, Israel and Iraq. And we see all this up to Moses and a little bit more, but then it stops. Listen, what happened in AD 70? The end of Israel. The Jews get scattered out. So it didn't go on through history. There was no Israel until 1948. So Israel and Iraq, it's a mirror image, Israel and Iraq are at the beginning of time. And then there's no Israel for all these centuries until you come to 1948, until you come to today. And at the same time, Iraq rises. And these two countries are once again the focus. So they asked Jesus, let's go back into the middle to the time that Christ was on earth. They said to Jesus, how will we know that the end has come? And he referred back, look forward, you see the picture, Israel and Iraq, you will know that the Son of Man is coming when the fig tree blossoms, when Israel returns home. You see? So we can know beyond any shadow of a doubt that these are the last days. Now it's a little bit, there's a little. it's the, the, the second square on your sheet. There's a little bit more to it than that, I'm afraid. If you look at the history of Israel, see what happened then in the bottom box, then and now. The Old Testament warning is given to us with all those happenings, and then we have the New Testament reality. Just like Israel, Iraq, Israel, Israel, Iraq. In Genesis, we read how the persecution was going to get worse and worse by the Amorites, and then God was going to intervene. And folks, I would predict because of that that persecution on the earth for the church is going to get worse and worse, probably very quickly. And once again, God will do what? There's, well, plagues. The next phase, Moses brought the plagues on Egypt. There will be plagues in the earth. What do we watch? (laughs) You watch ecology, you watch economies, and you watch health. And if you take a look, I don't know, uh, Pui could, she's actually away today, but Pui is an expert in contagious diseases but if you do just a little bit of research in the lancet or whatever you'll find out what's coming upon the earth and the greatest fears that the medical world have about plagues and their understanding believe me folks god keeps the plagues at bay amen it is god who keeps the plagues at bay but as the la- as the end times begin to encroach the earth the plagues will be released just like they were back then it's a mirror image So Iraq and Israel take center stage again. Then we have plagues upon the earth, persecution, and that gives us rise to the second coming. We begin to get, just like they got Moses, we're going to receive Jesus Christ for the second time. Do you get it? Amen? So as you read through your Old Testament, you can know that that is a clear prophetic picture for you, for you to see And there's different lessons. There's different lessons in the New Testament than there are in the Old. All important, all very, very significant. So that's just a kind of an overview of the book of Exodus, if you like, in very, very rapid form. On the other side of your notes, it wouldn't be right for us to look at the book of Exodus without at least pausing for a moment to look at this great, great character, Moses. Moses was called by God to do a phenomenal task. If you think you've got a hard life, (laughs) go home and read that book, man. He had a terrible time. Two and a half million very difficult people. He had a, a terrible, terrible time. And God called him to do a task. And he felt completely incompetent towards that task. In fact, you can read it when you go home. But in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 9 and the following verses, you will see that God asked him to do the task, and he responded with five major excuses. The first thing he said was that he was insignificant, to which God replied, I will be with you. He said he was ignorant, to which God said, well, that's no problem. I'll tell you what to say. He said, I'm not important. And God said, my power will be with you. He said he wasn't eloquent. And God diffused that one by saying, it's no problem. Aaron will speak for you. And the last one was that he was irrelevant. And this is, I think, is fantastic. What did God do to Moses when he said he was irrelevant? What did he do? He gave him a gift. If you could cue up that video, please, Henry. God's answer to Moses. When Moses didn't feel he was able to do the task, what did God give him? A rod. What does the rod represent? Mirror? It represents the gifting a gifting. Folks, every person here, there are no exceptions, every single person here has received from God something of power, a gifting. And when you find that, you will find yourself. You will find your future. You will find your life. You will find the thing that God has got destined for you. But if you don't find it, please listen to me. <laughs> it's, it's like important very important. If you honor God, here's Moses, and he says, I can't do anything. I'm insignificant. And God answers all those questions, really talking about himself. I will be with you. I will send. But then the conclusion of it is, but Moses, I'm going to put something in you. I'm going to give you something special, something that sets you apart, right? Right? And every single one of you, every person here, you have a gift. Don't put your hand up. Don't respond. But I tell you this, folks, your gift, when you find it, believe me, it's a key to becoming the person God wants you to be. And it is a trap of the enemy to cause... Can you imagine Moses with the army of Egypt and God gives him a stick? He's got chariots and horses. It's a a powerful empire. You'll be okay, Moses. Here you go. Don't come near me. It was a thing of power, right? I want to show you a video. Some of you may have seen this before. But I want to show you the transformation that can happen a person when they actually find out what their gifting is. See in this room? I know most of you guys. Maybe, I don't know, 10% of you have actually discovered your gift. Maybe 10% are functioning in that gift. Let me show you this video. Go ahead, Henry, please. Praise God. (laughs) Amen. I just want to remind you of that. Maybe you saw that the first time round. Listen, there's a big difference in the way Susan Boyle feels about herself as you think of yourself so you will be. We were like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and that's how we appeared to them. Right? If you think of yourself as nothing but a snail or whatever, then that is how you will be perceived. Now, answer me this question. How does God deal with that? Answer, by giving you a gift. That's how. And so when, Scripture says this, when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, he scattered gifts abroad. Now your gift could be your profession. That he's called you not just to be a doctor, but to be the most excellent doctor. Okay? It could be in pharmacy. It could be in any field or direction. But the point is you're gifted. Those are gifts of service, gifts for the, to function in the church. And my point is, There's a big difference in Susan Boyle before that performance, before she was released and after. There's a difference in the way she perceives herself. There's a complete difference in the way she is seen by the whole world. She was truly insignificant, ignorant, impotent, not eloquent, and irrelevant. And that's why the crowd laughed. And that's why they mocked. But once she was able to release her gifting, she found herself. And it's the same for you. And it is a tragedy, folks, an absolute tragedy, that many Christians never discover what that thing is. Could be the gift of love, the gift of service, worship, sound. It could be anything, but something God has given you. That actually will change you as a person we're not going to look at it here we'll deal with it when we get to one Corinthians in about six years time praise the Lord (laughs) only joking we'll deal with it but I promise you folks there's it's a huge key it really is I've told you this before I had a speech impediment used to go to a speech therapist wasn't a very good speech therapist and my biggest fear bit like yourself Brenda My biggest fear was speaking in public. Not just a fear, but I was terrified, terrified of that. And when I got saved, God spoke to me very quickly, only a matter of weeks or months, and I heard a word, and the word was preached. That was it. Now, you may say, well, what do you do when you hear something like that? I stopped going to church because I couldn't cope. I couldn't cope with it I was too afraid and it took me weeks and a lot of tears before I rang the elder in my church you see whatever gifting God has put in you it's not for your joy or pleasure if you like it's something that may well be a great challenge to you something like like with many scriptural characters something that's not actually natural it's supernatural And i remember the day i rang the elder and i said listen this is what god has told me to do and then with fear and trembling i pursued that in my life now i tell you that to tell you this listen to me i could have stayed in social work which is where i was it was my egypt i could have stayed there for another 430 years and ended up looking like that guy right but you know what happened instead I listened, understood it, and with much fear decided to step out and follow it, to follow the calling of God, the gift of God on my life. And I found myself. I wasn't supposed to be there. I wasn't supposed to be there in social services. Perfectly good work. But God had something else for me to do. And it was the scariest thing I have ever done in my life. But I found myself. I found my wife. I found finance. God blessed me. Like he said to Elijah Elijah, if you go where I'm sending you, which was the Cherith ravine, I have ordered the ravens to feed you. What's the word? Wow, Jesus. I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Not Egypt, Elijah. You need to go where I'm sending you. You need to do what I'm calling you to do. And I will provide, just like he did with Moses, provided Moses with a wife, right? So that he could complete the task. And Isaac, by the way. So please listen to me, folks. Many of you wonder why God doesn't hear your cry. Do you hear him? And people come to me and "I've been praying for 30 years, for A, B, C. Do you listen to God when he speaks, when he directs? Do you obey Him? Because if you do, you will find that that is where the provision is. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and whatever function or service you have in that kingdom and all these things will be added unto you and you will find yourself. It's not our topic for today, but it's not half relevant when you look at Moses. Okay? I just invite the worship team back. Stand to your feet one moment and let's just take a a few moments to pray. Hallelujah. Just bow your heads and close your eyes and just think back over your life. I want you to think if God ever did speak to you and give you a word or give you some direction and saying this is what I want you to do. This is the way... I want you to go. Some gift, some inkling of what he wanted you to do. Father, I pray that you would, as Paul says, stir up the giftings in this place. Some of you are called to healing. A ministry to to heal the sick. But you're afraid. So was Moses. Some of you are called to business management. And you're afraid that there's principles you need to know and live by. Some of you simply called it to be a good husband or a good wife. Lord, I pray you would stir the giftings in this place. Just invite the worship team back at this time. Father, stir the giftings. And would you shine a spotlight around this room and let each person find themselves. Find themselves. And let us release our giftings, not only in this city, But in this nation, around the nations, God, you would be glorified. And people would know there's a God of power. Hallelujah. What was that voice given for? To praise God. That's what the voice was given for. She's not saved. She doesn't know that. But that gift was given for the praise of God. And the world finds their giftings. And the world uses them. Father, we ask you that we would simply find ours and use ours in Jesus' name.